Welcome to this episode of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where I talk to leading lights in plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. I'm your host, Hannah Senior of PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. And through this, I've been privileged to get a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, farming systems and the environment. I'm excited to share a little of this with you as we meet some of the amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. Today, I'm talking to Dr. May Lee Tan, who is the managing director and owner of Germany-based Creanova Consultancy, which specializes in helping smaller and medium-sized plant breeding businesses adopt new biotechnologies. She's also the managing director of Excellent Lab, which provides research and services in plant cell biology. May Lee's story is one of bridging disciplines. As a student in the 1980s, she had the visionary idea that cell biology, molecular biology, and phytopathology would become intimately entwined with plant breeding. This connection wasn't widely appreciated at the time, but her intuition proved right. This, plus a belief about the value of diversity in all its forms, has led her to an incredibly varied career, which has crisscrossed the globe, academic boundaries, technologies, and species. All of this hasn't necessarily come easily, so May Lee talks honestly about some of the challenges and occasionally outright prejudice in juggling different aspects of life and pushing boundaries to pursue her interests and insights. Before we get going, we did have a minor technical problem early on in the recording, so I apologise in advance if you notice a little corruption on the audio. Just to get things started, May Lee, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Hannah. Um, so my name is Meili Tan, and as you already mentioned, I'm a consultant of Crea Nova Consultancy. I'm owner of that uh, company, and I'm also managing director of a laboratory doing research, plant cell research. It's called Excellent Lab, and we are situated in Germany. I was born in Indonesia, where I grew up and lived until I was nine years old. And then we moved with my family to the Netherlands. So there I went to school and I also started my um, uh, university career. What was it that brought you from Indonesia to the Netherlands? Were your, were your family in agriculture? Was that the connection or was there something else? When we moved to Europe, it was a very, let's say, uh, political reasons. Um, my father passed away in Indonesia and my parents wanted to go to Europe for uh, the education of the children. Mm -hmm. So we decided to move to the Netherlands because uh, my father had studied there and we had some relatives in Holland. So if we think about this young, young May Lee moving to the Netherlands, were you already interested in plants or did that come much later? I think when I uh, look back, I remember that as a, as a child, I was always outside in the garden playing with plants, flowers. And yeah, I think that might be the basis of my choice of uh, going to study biology. Also, the interest in plants grew, I think, from the moment on that I got my first botany course where I uh, looked through the microscope and saw the uh, onion cells for the first time. It's just like fe feeling like falling in love. 
fascination that I, I experienced. And I thought, hmm, um, I like to work with plants and I, I like to work with plant cells. And that was actually uh, during my bachelor's study that I discovered that. And I think when I moved to my master's, I thought, okay, there was a subject was called cell biology and plant tissue culture. And that was in the Department of Molecular Biology. So I've chosen to go into that subject. And uh, cell biology was actually a field where you were working with plant cells and try to find protocols or develop protocols to see if you could get from one plant cell back to a complete plant. Because that's the uniqueness of uh, plant cells, that they have what we call the totipotency, that they are able to divide, uh, form cell walls, and form shoots and roots again, in contrast to animal cells. And I think I wanted to go more deeper into that field. And that was why I've chosen to study cell biology in combination with molecular biology. And while you were studying for that master's degree, you found yourself intrigued by the world of phytopathology, leading you to study a second master's degree in Vancouver, Canada. So before we go on, can you explain to us what phytopathology is? Phytopathology is actually uh, the studies of plant diseases. As you know, plants can get sick with pathogens, bacteria, fungi. And also that field was very interesting for me because I thought, okay, if a plant is not growing well, they cannot propagate themselves well, they cannot uh, have good yields. I wanted to see what is behind that, behind the pathogen, and how is the interaction between pathogen and plant. And again, that field was, of course, very interesting if you look at plant breeding, where you can breed for disease resistance. Now, you could have stayed in plant cell biology or phytopathology, but you gravitated towards the whole separate field of plant breeding and did a third master's degree in it. And that's a lot of specialisms. So why and how did you decide to do a third master's degree? I think the reason why I uh, was going into plant breeding was that I was looking for a field of interest where I could apply the knowledge that I could gain from cell biology, molecular biology, and also phytopathology. And I was looking for, let's say, a particular field where I could bring in all together these three disciplines. Then I found that there is a study called plant breeding. And uh, I thought at that time, it was not yet the era of plant biotechnology that was non-existing yet. But I was sort of dreaming that I could help plant breeding perhaps by bringing in those new technologies. So I decided to call the professor in the plant breeding department in Wageningen University in Holland and ask him if I was able to do part of the plant breeding courses during my master's. And then he told me, well, no, no way. You either do it as a complete study or there's no way that you can just do a, a part-time plant breeding. And so I was a bit disappointed. But two weeks later, I thought, well, this is the only place where I could study that field. So I called up him up again. I said, okay, if I have to do it from scratch, I will do it. But I would like to combine it with my master's study of uh, molecular and cell biology. 
So you really connected the dots and could see both the potential synergy of those disciplines and their potential applications in the real world. At that time, I gather that that insight wasn't widely appreciated. Did you get much pushback? In those days, it was very weird to have such a combination. But at the end, when I finished my master, it was the same professor who offered me a PhD in this field and asked me to set up a cell biology lab in his department. So I think... (laughs) (laughs) So he obviously saw the the benefit once you demonstrated it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was very, very happy with that. And what was the lab that you set up at that time? So uh, I set up the, the tissue culture lab at the Department of Plant Breeding at the Wageningen University. And I was doing also part of my PhD work at the Molecular and Cell Biology Department at the Free University. So I was um, actually three days a week in one lab and two days a week in another lab, having students at both locations. And there I learned that the languages of the plant breeders and the molecular biologists were completely, completely different. There's a common theme in your career here, isn't there, which we'll hear more than once, of bridging between disciplines and being a connector or translator between different areas of expertise. But then you entered the world of commercial plant breeding shortly afterwards. Why was that? Yeah, after I finished my PhD, the same professor told me, well, maybe now it's time for you to move into the industry. And I'm talking now about the late 80s. And at that time, plant biotechnology was just on the rise. So a lot of seed companies wanted to set up laboratories where we could do cell biology, molecular biology. And I was very happy. I I could choose from many, many different jobs at that time. And I thought, well, maybe I should start with a company that has already a lot of experience in the seed industry. And so I've chosen to work for, at that time, it was called Saatuni in the north of of the Netherlands, in Enkhuizen. Later on, it became Sando Seeds. So they offered me this job and I had quite a challenge because they asked me to set up a biotech lab from scratch because they had a huge huge area where they were not using the space. And I said, okay, come on, just start and let us see where, where we can, can do uh, research. So that was quite a challenge for me, <laughs> getting a blank check to buy the equipment that you like and uh, to set up your team. But I think that was uh, a great opportunity. And when was that happening? We started the lab in 87 and I was leading the group of cell biology for almost 12 years, trying to set up and support the breeding with Uh, cell biology and plant cell tissue culture, as well as molecular biology. That's quite an exciting experience, isn't it? Because you you were able to start with this blank sheet of paper and build something. Did did that teach you any lessons that you carried forward into the rest of your career? Or was it um, a very formative experience? Yeah, I I think looking back, I'm I'm very grateful that I got that opportunity. Of course, it was scary, but the way they trusted me gave me the confidence, okay, you can can do it, even if you're making mistakes. And I think I've I've learned from that too. And uh, not being afraid to just jump into it, just learning by doing. 
I think that 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 would be the the case. And not being afraid to start something new and something from scratch. That was that was the biggest experience uh, I had in the beginning. <laughs> you stayed with that company. I know it changed changed names and you know merged and so on over the years, but you stayed with the company for 12 years, you said. So what happened next? Then I got a job offer to switch from research into business development. There was this uh, startup company called Mogen International in the Netherlands. It was a startup company, a biotech startup company, developing technology for fungal and nematode resistance. And since my background was in phytopathology, I thought, well, that might be very interesting. But of course, I did not have any commercial background, any commercial experience. But again, here, the, um, the director told me, well, I think you have learned enough at the seed company that you're working with. You know what the customer wants and you know the technology. So therefore, I think you can do it. And again, here, I got the opportunity to jump from research into business development. I was very happy to have had that opportunity. So I was working for Mogen and trying to sell the technology to the seed companies because I knew what the customer wanted. And I tried to help them with these technologies to bring that into their breeding programs. What kind of plants were you working with at this point? Was it, was it broad acre crops or was it vegetables? Uh, mainly uh, vegetable crops, but also we had with soybeans, with uh, agricultural crops, um, but also potatoes and bananas. These were also the crops that I was uh, I was working with. Quite a wide range then. A wide range, a wide range, yes. And then, so at what point did you set up Crayonova and, and what made you decide to do that? I stayed in the industry for almost 16, 17 years. And then I thought, well, you know, at, at one point I was interested to see if I could help the smaller companies the companies that do not own a, a big laboratory, but also to, to see if we could help the breeding of the smaller crops with uh, cell biology and uh, some molecular, molecular biology tools. I was asked by a couple of customers to advise them. And that is what I felt that there was a need in that area. And I wanted to have the freedom to choose the projects I was working with. And the crops that I was working with. So in 2006, I decided, okay, now it's time to start my own company. And also because I'm living here in Germany and I had two small children, it's, it was easier for me to work from home and also to be able to choose my own projects. So I started uh, Crianova Consultancy in 2006. And since then, I've had many, many different customers with different crops different uh, locations, so from South America to Asia to South Africa. Could you give some examples of the kind of crops and the kind of projects that you've worked on? Obviously, um, managing any commercial sensitivities. Yeah. <laughs> A wide area, I, I, I can say. Cut flowers, uh, fruits, vegetables, also some uh, interesting crops like macroalgae. Mm. So you can do breeding in that too. So that's, that's fascinating too. I think that has helped me also 
to use my experience from one crop to another crop. It's something that you could apply uh, once you get to know the crop very well. And it sort of picks up on that thing that we talked about earlier, how you have experience and expertise in bridging different disciplines, but now we're talking about different crops and different countries. Is that something you actively sort out or is it something that's just happened along the way? I think both. It's just like I always see it's like a basket flowing on, on the river. It comes by and then you can pick it up or you can leave it. And it might be also that um, uh, certain projects were very interesting to me because of the different crops, but also different locations, different, um, well, things that I could learn too. I think it, it's a combination of both. You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security, and more sustainable agriculture. Now, back to the podcast. Your consultancy work with Creanova has taken you all over the world. Do you observe differences in the approach to plant breeding and the culture around it when you compare geographies, or is it pretty much the same the world over? Of course, you see differences and the differences is dependent also on the local situation and also the economic situation. If you're talking about a plant breeder in South America, for instance, or a plant breeder in Holland, in the Netherlands, there's two different worlds and they can use different uh, technologies, different resources, of course. So what I've learned is to look at the local situation see what we can do with the resources that they have. And of course, uh, you cannot just go about gene sequencing in a country or a location where you hardly can get any chemicals or supplies of, of a laboratory equipment. So you have to think differently. But that makes it very interesting for me to use also all creativity to see how you can solve those problems. There's, that also touches on something that I'm keen to dig into a bit more, which we discussed previously, this thing about using local knowledge, you know, not assuming that your way of doing things is, is going to be the only way. So could you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I know, I know it's something that you feel very strongly about. Yeah, because I think what I do not like is that we impose our thinking of using technology like we are used to do here in the Western world and to impose that in other countries or other cultures that does not fit into their thinking and their beliefs. So what I see is sometimes if we listen and look at how they solve their problems and try to combine it with things that we could help them with rather than impose things on uh, on the local uh, situation that will never work. So I always try to discuss with them and also to look carefully. What is it that is also going well? So you don't change too much, but you try to uh, make little improvements. And sometimes their solutions can be much more efficient than we could think of. And making use of their 
experience and know-how. I think that is the way how we can collaborate. Do you have any examples of that that you could share? Yeah, for instance, if you look at at the whole climate change, we see that uh, there is a lot of drought in certain areas. And of course, with plant breeding, you are trying to get uh, more uh, stress-tolerant plants. But also at certain locations, you could see that the people who are used to have those dry periods without rain, they have certain practices that they dig holes in, 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 in the soil and deeper holes in the soil to keep the moisture there. And these are small little things that maybe we, we just don't think of. But if that is their way of also providing a more, uh, more water to their, their crops. Also, if you look at, at the way they grow the paddy fields, there are certain things that you should not change completely with stress-tolerant plants or, or crops. So you have to work together with them to find the right solution for the right environment. This question of blurring boundaries between disciplines, you did it early on in your career. Do you think there are still opportunities for that? What do you think the future looks like in terms of cross-disciplinary working? Oh, yes. I still believe that crossing those boundaries will give us innovation. That is what's driving innovation. And currently, and also in the past, I've been looking at a lot of developments in the human medicine looking at equipment that people are using in cancer research and trying to adapt that and trying to use that for uh, plant cell research. And you can think of the way people can identify and sort cancer cells and try to use that and apply that for plant cells to select and sort plant cells that are very regenerative. So you could improve the efficiency if you want to change the trait of a plant and you could change it in one cell and try to get from that cell back to a complete regenerated plant and you can do it very efficiently that would help a lot and i think by just looking across the border to uh, human medicine and and equipment that is being used there you can try to adapt and change that and use it for plant cells and that is actually what, what I'm looking now and trying to bring that area also into, into plant cell research. And does the same apply when it comes to the teams that you work with? Not just academic disciplines, but you know this theme of diversity and bringing ideas from different perspectives, different countries, different traditions. Does that, does that, do you, have you also seen that play out? Yes, again, that could help improving your creativity and innovation. As an example, I know, for instance, a very good restaurant in, in Copenhagen, and uh, they have earned a Michelin star. And I was asking the owners, I said, well, you know, what is your secret? And then what they, they told me is that their staff in the kitchen has been actually consisted of five to six different nationalities. And everybody brings something into the, their recipes. And I think the same holds true for science. And also when you're setting up your team, I think it's very important to uh, have people with, with different kinds of background, different kinds of experiences to, to bring that together. Yeah, I believe in that. <laughs> what do you think has been the hardest part of your career over the, over the years? 
in the beginning, it was very difficult to be a woman scientist in, in those days. I've been always been a working mother, a full-time working mother. So it was not very easy to... <laughs> Didn't someone tell you that you couldn't be a plant breeder if you wanted to have children? Yeah, and that is the second one. Uh, also, my professor who told me that, why do you want to be a plant breeder? Uh, I don't think that will work because you're a woman and you cannot, um, uh, you know, uh, be out of your work for, for a year or two when you get children. So I was really, really disappointed to hear that from him. I thought maybe that was the reason why I said, well, I will be a full-time working mother then. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to prove him wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I think in those days, it was not very, uh, very easy to do that. And then again, in the business development, since, of course, I'm Asian, I'm also a, a woman. But for me, it was a bottleneck to get acceptance or respect one of the reasons is also I wanted to just prove that, you know, uh, because of your, your knowledge and experience, you, you can do it. And I think that has helped me a lot. Also, I'm grateful for all the um, opportunities that I got and the trust that I could do the job, even though I did not have experience in a certain field. Mm -hmm. And But if you could go back to the start of your career, would you do anything differently? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, I probably would do exactly the same. Um, maybe trying to have a better balance in, in life. Because of my passion, I was working quite a lot. And maybe that has also an impact on, on my family life. But on the other hand, I think my family would, would not, not like me to be so much at home. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I, I don't regret anything of it. So uh, I, I would do exactly the same again. Yeah. Where do you think the next generation of plant breeders need to be focusing? What things will they need to master? I'm so fascinated by the, uh, the speed of the developments in technology. I mentioned last, uh, last week to somebody, I said, well, you know, if I was 25 years, 30 years younger, I would still would like to do a PhD at this moment because it's so exciting and seeing that many disciplines are coming together and there's so, still much to do in research and also the uh, developments are getting um, more and more exciting and, and faster. But we, sh we need to use these tools and this technology to find a better way for a sustainable agriculture. And also in the light of the climate change, we also have to look more into areas where we could see that it uh, helps the plant breeders and also uh, the plant research. I'm also thinking about soil biology, where we can have more um, uh, insight in the microbiology and soil biology, but with also the, the fungi and the ecology in the soil. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really complex area, isn't it? But there is so much opportunity and it's, it's definitely um, a growth area at the moment. So it will be so exciting to see where things go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So having done so many different things over the course of your career, I'm curious about 
what next and what's attracting your energies and interests um, from here on? Okay. Hmm. I'm still very interested in transferring my know-how and knowledge. So I will be active also in teaching and uh, also coaching the young scientists. And also I will, I will still be active as a consultant and also in helping people doing research, research projects. But again, I have to sort of wind down a little bit and uh, have more time for my hobbies. <laughs> and that is something that will be very difficult for me sort of to find a balance. But um, yeah, I, that, 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 that will be the next steps, uh, Hannah. And, and are you still as fascinated by plants now as you were when you started your career? Yes, I think uh, that will will stay. And uh, every time I look through a microscope, I'm still in love with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Maylee Tan. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Hannah. It was a pleasure too for me. You've been listening to Plant Breeding Stories by PBS International, and I'm your host, Hannah Senior. Plant breeding is a pretty specialist podcast topic, which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues, and please help others in the plant science community to find it by rating this episode and subscribing to the series. I'd love to hear from you if you want to suggest people you'd like me to interview. You can contact me on Twitter at PBSint or on Instagram at PBS underscore Int. Until next time, stay well. <laughs>